0: Welcome to Lossy Mouth United Free Church Sermons Online. We're glad you could join us as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want more information about our services or about church life, Please head over to our website at lossyufchurch.org for more resources. Let's hear God's word together. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise as the virgin Israel, Forsaked on her land with none to raise her up, for thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, now which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkness the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. He makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built house of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good, and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil, and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord. In all the squares there shall be wailing, in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. In all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It's not the day of the Lord, darkness and not light and gloom, but with no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I have taken no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me to me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness or house of Israel? You shall take up Shukath, your king, and queen, the star god, your images, and you made yourselves, and you will send, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Now we thought last week about how Amos called upon the people of Israel to Prepare to meet your God. However, the question that that gave each of us was how are we preparing to meet him? Are we preparing to meet him as a rebellious people, as the people of Israel did, in judgment? Or as one of the faithful to whom he declares those wonderful words, good and faithful servant? We considered Israel's failures, which can be looked at in their obvious negative sense, but also we saw how in a positive sense they can be used by us as we follow God to avoid the same pitfalls and see instead of meeting him in judgment, we can meet him as his faithful followers as we walk closely with him. We addressed the people's failures under four headings, firstly their failure to care, as they put their own needs and wants and even worse, they did it at the cost of those that were weak, poor, needy, They were described like a calf fattened on the spoils of the fertile ground whilst the rest of the herd starved. Secondly, and importantly for today, as we widen the theme, they failed in their worship. An unhealthy culture of self-gratification had crept in and pride had taken over as they bragged about what they brought in their givings. As we noted, we are made to worship. We are a worshipping people. But the danger is that we fail to direct our worship in the correct direction. Thirdly, they fail to remember all that God had done for them and the warnings that He had given to them as a people. Their short memories had forgotten the curses of disobedience and the blessings of obedience. It's a reminder that God is sovereign and that we are at His mercy and reliant upon His daily provision. And finally, they fail to engage with God. Yet the irony is that God will still meet with them. He cannot be avoided. He can't be fobbed off. And they failed in all these areas. Yet we could not miss, even here at this point, the note of grace that was present. He, as we saw at this point, is still claiming them as his own. That covenant relationship that he has made with them remains intact as we continue on in our story today. And today, as we look to chapter 5 of Amos, we continue that central section that contains the five oracles, three announcements and two war oracles. And this morning sees us take that final announcement and the first of the war oracles together as one study, because taken together, they give us the unifying theme of the chapter, which, of course, is Israel's false security in its religious practices. As we look to verse 1, we see that this last announcement oracle is a lament by Amos of Israel's failure. It is a tone of one who is in mourning, mourning over the dead, as we see in verse 2. Why such a heavy heart, we may ask, though surely we know the answer from our previous studies. Israel knows what true worship is and looks like and of course what flows from it. Social justice that we've touched on is not a new thing although it seems to have become a bit of a a buzzword or catchphrase today. The care for others comes from when we have a right understanding and a right relationship with God. Yet Israel's worship had become twisted and no longer do they do God's will, his, follow his laws? No longer does his holiness mark their religious gatherings as they simply pay lip service to the Almighty. As File puts it, the people are playing in meetings and it's creating a lifestyle marked by a lack of reverence, compassion and really a total absence of reality. Focus shifts in Amos's war oracle from Israel's for security and its religious practices to their security and their military might as well. We're going to look at Amos' laments before considering his war oracle, but keeping in mind that the two are, of course, intertwined to address the issue of Israel's hypocrisy. So let us look at that lament. Like any good doctor that runs tests to reach a conclusion. So Amos applies a sort of litmus test to the situation. The pastic is chaistic in nature, meaning it has these kind of mirroring ideas either side of one central point. That means Amos's lament of the nation's funeral in verses 2 and 3 and then 16 and 17 bookend this section with the appeal to seek the Lord and live mirrored in verses 4 and 7 and 14 and 15, before we are drawn there into the central idea of seeing if there is any evidence of a people seeking the Lord in verses 8 to 13. So we're continually being pointed and drawn into this central point. So let's take a moment on each of these components of firstly the death of the nation, secondly the appeal to seek the Lord and live, And thirdly, that central idea of whether there is any evidence of a people seeking the Lord. So first of all, the idea of the nation's funeral. We wouldn't be happy if someone spoke about us as if we were dead when we were still alive and apparently doing well. But as we noted, Amos' lament, as if... The patient at hand has died, that of Israel. Yet looking on, Israel is still apparently healthy under the leaderships of Jeroboam and Uzziah and their respective kingdoms. He speaks in the opening verses as if their death as a nation is a past event, it's already happened, and he's just back from the funeral. But this is not by accident. He's not making a mistake here in what he's saying. He's using a tool to jar his listeners out of their complacency that's what he's trying to do for us today as well and note though how i say apparently healthy it's all too easy for us to fool ourselves of the health of our churches and we noted last week that amos is a sort of spiritual health check for them and for us and we avoid failures by studying it whether in scripture or in our contemporary context today And that is the premise of Thomas Rayner's book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, that I've spoken about here before. Where Rayner recounts his experience of working with a formerly prosperous church that had died a slow death over the course of over a decade. By looking at the common patterns and failures and identifying the red flags churches should be looking for, he has helped other churches in avoiding the similar pitfalls. And end. As Rainer writes, growth may come rapidly, but decline is usually slow, imperceptibly slow. The slow erosion is the worst type of decline for a church because the members have no sense of an urgency to change. The decline is the connection with the community, the decline is in the hopes and dreams of those who remain. The decline is in our connection with the community and the decline is in the hopes and dreams of those who remain. The slow erosion from a promising start was what Israel experienced as the promised land became a grave rather than that refuge it was supposed to be as they walked with God. Gilgal was where they had first camped, was where the covenant was renewed, the launch site for conquests, and the place where Saul was confirmed as king. So many blessings there, so much potential, all squandered away as they didn't see the red flags of their demise. And so Amos laments upon the death of the nation, even whilst it lives and whilst it breathes. Who will lament over us and our congregations, which are still here and alive, but are slowly dying? What will be the litmus test? And what will it tell us where we are and where we are going? In verse 16 and 17, Amos returns to the theme as we see a picture again of national mourning. Amos wants the people to take seriously and think seriously about what they believe about God. They may have said with their lips that God was the sovereign creator and their saviour. But did it impact their lives? So often people don't acknowledge God because they realise there is an inherent need to respond if he is real. God puts a call upon our lives to live differently, to live lives of service, put others before ourselves. Yet as one writer puts it, grace is the driving force on the whole of life. Once that link is broken between God's grace and the life which flows from it, then false religion takes place. But we move on to that call, seek the Lord. And live. Just as quickly as he mourns the death of the nation, he offers hope to them, hope and life. He cries out, Seek the Lord and live, in verse 6. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, verse 4. Where are they to seek God? Are they to go to the great shrines of Bethel and Gilgal that have been mentioned? No, not at all. True worship is not about going to a place, but instead it's about having a relationship with the living God. As one writer puts it, it's true worship is when God's character shows itself in every aspect of people's lives. What do we see in verse 7? O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down the righteousness to the earth. Their worship was false because they did not take God seriously. So things like justice and righteousness came to mean nothing to them. Verses 14 and 15 parallel was thinking of hating evil, loving good and establishing justice. And then the Lord will have mercy upon them. And of course the reference to the remnant of Joseph in verse 15 is their only hope. That God will keep a remnant of his people. For the continuance of his work. It is a reminder today as we come to worship. It's not about a place, the place that we come to worship, but it's the attitude that we bring to worship. It's not simply about a Sunday, but about our whole week as we live out our lives. Worship is not something that we do for an hour on Sunday, but it's the very heart of who we are as believers. When we take God seriously and out of our worship will flow a desire to seek good, righteousness and justice in our world. There will be tangible fruits to our worship as we walk with the Lord in every aspect of our lives. And our church lives will reflect this. Our desire will to reach a broken world, clothe the poor, not sell for the coffers, to feed the hungry, love the unloved, ultimately show the love of Christ to a needy world. And so it takes us to that central point, the evidence of a people seeking God. Is it there? We come to verses 18 and 13, that central portion of this charistic passage. In verse 8, we are reminded that the God of Israel is the God of creation, the one who throws the stars into space, that makes the constellations, as we see echoes of the creation story from Genesis. He controls day and night, has power over the seas, and controls the seasons. Everything is reliant upon him. And we see the counterpoint to the people turning justice to wormwood or to bitterness. From verse 8 we see the God who turns deep darkness into the morning light. The Lord God is sovereign, and even their disobedience cannot undo his work. If they truly worship God, there will be evidence the fact and how they live, it is the test that the physician now brings to bear to diagnose the problem that we began with but instead of evidence to show that they are seeking God we get evidence or in medical terms a list of symptoms to the contrary trampling the poor, bearing false witness in court, extorting taxes living in their luxurious houses while others live in mud brick homes and so their transgressions go on and on instead of seeking God's words which would be evidence of a people seeking God they instead reprove those that speak against falsehoods and as it says they abhor those that speak the truth it's the very opposite of what the psalmist declares oh how I loved your law it is my meditation all the day and like a cancer they've left untreated, it spreads into every area of covenant life. So then the rejection of God's word leads to the oppression as they lose their servant heart, their concern for others, and are left with concern for themselves. The spiritual health check can still be applied today. What will be found when we apply it? That can make us Uncomfortable. How quickly we are swayed by the world's thinking at the cost of God's words. Issues of the day, gender, sexuality, euthanasia, image, marriage, all these things. The scripture has something to say about. But how often does the dripping tap of worldly views begin to distort our trust in God's truths? The false teaching of the Assyrian religions will take them ultimately to Assyria. The false teaching of the world will ultimately take us to hell. The world will tell us that we're unloving. It will tell us that we're excluding, even hateful. Yet it is false worldviews that lead to oppression whilst a true following of God is evident through our love for the world, for those struggling with these different issues, as we extend God's grace through the truths of his word. And just as we finish, we to touch on that woe oracle that comes next. It continues the theme of placing false hope in religious practices which will not bring God's favour, but will kindle his wrath. The irony of Amos' words are tangible as he points to what one would assume to be a day of rejoicing on the day of the Lord. Yet he declares to them, woe to you. Seems odd. The lion, the bear, the snake, verse 19, all point towards a looming danger. But for the rebellious, the day of the Lord, will be a day of darkness, as verse 18 phrases it. And today as churches we can fall foul of similar failures. A desire for revival. Nothing wrong with that, you might say. A desire of meeting with the Lord, of singing with joy about the coming day of the Lord. But the issue is, are we truly prepared for these things? Again, yeah, his file notes, without that radical commitment to repentance, which, as Amos reminds us, lies at the heart of any true engagement with God, like Amos, we need to call people to repentance and faith, not look to some glory days in the past, nor pine for their return. In revival, God deals with his people first, long before he deals with the hearts of those outside his kingdom in verse 21, we read, I hate, I despise your feasts and take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Why would the Lord say such a thing about the feasts that he had divinely appointed, such as the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread? The issue, of course, is not with the feasts, but with the people's attitude towards them, especially in their sacrifices. Burnt offerings given wholly to God, the grain offering given back from God's gracious provision for them, and the peace offering was symbolic of the fellowship they enjoyed with God as his people. Yet because of their rejection of their God, their sacrifices have become a sham as they simply go through the motions. In the same way, their singing has become an offence because the words of their lips do not reflect the attitude of their hearts, as we see in verse 23. They are simply playing at meetings, as our title today suggests, in contrast to the psalmist who declares, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. They have chased after other gods with their idols, and have angered the one true God. And at the closing of the chapter, it notes the consequences as they face exile. Yet, as Alec Mottier notes, the gods of Assyria occupied their hearts, the hearts of Israel, long before the armies of Assyria occupied its streets and towns. So the question is, what idols are we holding on today in our lives? What idols are we desperately gripping onto as a church? Is it a devotion to doing and returning to what we've always done? Is it the idol of the past or the idol of how things look instead of our worship being about the glory of God and the building of his kingdom? Assyria's idols, as we said, will ultimately take the people of Israel to Assyria. But where will our idols Take us as churches and as individuals. Unless our worship is real, and that's not, of course, simply about music, but attitude of the heart, then we are simply playing at meetings. But when our worship touches the whole of our life and that of others, we will see growth, we will see blessings, and of course, we will see a worshipping community these few thoughts let's just take a moment in prayer dear lord god and loving gracious heavenly father we give thanks for your Word. we give thanks for the way that it challenges us challenges our hearts and our attitudes lord we know like a physician treating a patient that uh, it's not always comfortable for us it's not always easy for us but it is for our good, it is for our spiritual health, and our spiritual growth. And so we ask that you would take these words, that you continue to minister to us through them, and may they have an impact in our lives and the lives of others as we live for you. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.